Today we're going to continue our series and characters of the Old Testament. Today we're going to look at Jacob, right? We have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with the patriarchs of the, the Jewish faith, and then, of course, what brings about us, right? Jacob I have a, a difficult time with. Um, you know, one of the unique things about the Bible is that it paints its people, even its heroes, in both positive and negative ways. And, and that's true, I think, of all of our lives, isn't it? If, if you were to be followed around with a camera all the time, it would catch good, bad, and indifferent. It would just would. Every one of us. None of us are perfect. But Jacob is imperfect in ways in which frustrate me. I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but he is a bit of uh, a deceiver and a liar, and those people are hard to be around. And so this sermon is difficult because Jacob is not one of my favorite characters uh, of the Old Testament. And I think you're going to see, going to see kind of why um, he frustrates me. And yet, the lesson I think is going to be interesting that, that God works through people who are frustrating. God works through people, people who are imperfect, which I think we knew because if he, he didn't, then none of us would be here. But but he works through Jacob in the midst of all the chaos. And there's going to be a lot of chaos, as you see, as we go through this section. So we're beginning in Genesis 27. We saw last week where Jacob and Esau, Esau, of course, the oldest, Jacob, the youngest, they're twins. They're born together at the same time. Esau first and Jacob literally grasping on Esau's heel. And there was conflict in the womb and there's going to be conflict all the way through their lives between these two, these two sons. These sons of the covenant, these sons of the promise. So Genesis 27 begins with Jacob being deceptive. So his father Isaac is, is about to die. He, he's, he can no longer see, he's blind. And he brings his oldest son Esau in to give him his blessing. So this blessing isn't just a, hey, blessing, have a great life. This blessing that was given to the oldest son generally, not always, but to the oldest son, was a, a transfer of the leadership of the family. And so what he's saying is, hey, when I'm gone, you're the patriarch, right? You're, you're in charge of this thing. You're running the estate. You're running the household. You're running the, the religious ceremonies of our family. All this is going to be on you. And so Isaac calls Esau in to give that blessing. He says, Esau, we're going to do this blessing over a male. Esau, if you remember, is a hunter. He says, Esau, go out, kill something, prepare it for me, bring it back. We'll eat this meal together, and I'm going to give you my blessing. And this blessing is huge. This blessing is is the moment that that oldest son would have waited for their entire life of saying, okay, now it's time for me, me to do it. Um, I remember every time I go on a fire, I tell Alden, who's my oldest son, Alden, you're the man of the house while I'm gone, right? He's seven, but he thinks it's, it's a big deal, right? You're it, dude. You're the man of the house while I'm gone. You, it's on you. You're the oldest. You're, you're the responsible one. And he gets this kind of pride, you know? And the same thing's going for Esau. Esau's going to be the man of the family. It's a huge responsibility. So he goes out to hunt to go kill this animal. Rebecca, Isaac's wife, overhears this conversation. And as we saw last week, they have favorites. Isaac's favorite son is Esau. Rebecca's favorite son is Jacob. Rebecca overhears what's going to happen and goes, okay, I got a plan here. We're going to deceive your father into tricking him into giving you the blessing that he's supposed to be giving to your oldest brother, to Esau. And so Rebecca comes up with this plan, and Isaac, or excuse me, uh, Jacob's a little nervous about it at first, and she says, hey, don't worry about it. Whatever happens, I'll, I'll deal with the consequences, but this is what I want to happen. You need to be the one that receives this, this blessing. And so she prepares a meal just like Isaac would like it. They put, they put Jacob in Esau's clothes so he'll smell like him. They cover some of his, Esau, as we see in the Bible, is a very hairy man. They cover some of Jacob's skin with, with goat hair, which I just imagine him walking in there. Now his dad can't see, remember? 
He's, he's got his brother's clothes on, and he's got goat hair all over his, any surface that Isaac might touch. This is, this is, you're going to a rather lengthy ordeal here to steal this blessing, but the blessing is important. It means something. And so they're able to deceive Isaac into giving him his blessing, and then as soon as Jacob leaves, Esau returns with the meal he's prepared, and they figure out that they've been deceived. And it seems silly, but in the story, Esau goes, well, can't you just give me the blessing instead? And that's not how it worked. And as a reader of it today, we go, well, that's, he's just, it's just words. But those words were, were a contract. Those words were binding. So when Isaac utters that blessing to his son Jacob, he can't take those words back. The blessing's been done, and the damage has been done. And Esau vows for revenge on his brother, vows to kill him. Says, hey, when dad's gone, when he's not around here anymore, it's on. It's over for you. And so Rebecca takes Jacob and has him go stay with her family to leave the area because of Esau's great anger. We talked a little bit about last week, about as parents, it's not our job to choose favorites. As parents, our job is just to love our children, right? And we see the consequences of that. We read clearly in the Bible last week that they they chose favorites and how damaging that is. Now, you might have a child that's more like you. You might have a child whose hobbies are like your hobbies or whose personalities like your personality. But as a parent, our job is to love our children regardless of if they're like us or if they're not like us. It's to love them equally. And kids know when it's not loved equally. And we saw that this happened and this, and this is kind of what boils over, is now you have one son wanting to kill the other son because of mom and dad couldn't figure it out, right? Mom and dad couldn't do what they should have done in the beginning. And it's a sad, sad tale, and it doesn't get any better from here. So now Jacob has that blessing. He has the leadership of the family. So when Isaac goes, he'll be in charge. And as he goes and he leaves to the strange land, he's going to, going to find a, a bride. And this, if you know the story, is going to get really complicated in a hurry. Genesis 29, starting in verse 14, says this. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, he's away with Rebekah's family, with Laban. Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. Leah's here today. It's not this Leah, different Leah, huh, Leah? And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes or delicate eyes. That can mean either thing. I don't know what weak eyes means, by the way. That doesn't, I don't know if she couldn't see well. Or That word can also mean delicate, so it just means her eyes were delicate. I, that's all I know. I'm not sure why that's a contributing factor to his choice of her, but I guess it is. But Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So what happened in the ancient world was there was a bride price. So it's complicated because it seems really antiquated, which for us it is. But the, the family, the husband's family, had to compensate the family of, of the bride for the loss of her, essentially, right? He's, she's leaving that family and joining their family. And so they would generally give something, whether it was goods they had or services, they would give something as a price for her. Now, it's not as if they're buying her because she can say no to this whole thing, but they're kind of trying to compensate the family. And then that, because her family was actually in charge of giving her some, some property to protect her in case her husband ever left her or divorced her or died. Because remember, this is the ancient world and women could not work. They could not sustain themselves. And so there was a whole exchange of things that happened when this would go on. And so what's going on here is, is Jacob has fled his home with nothing. 
right? So he gets there and he decides, I'd like to marry her, but he has nothing to give to the family. So they say, they negotiate on seven years of work. Now, from what I understand, he's paying about twice as much as you would normally pay in that time and place for this price to marry her, to give back to that family. He's going to work for seven, seven years. This is a long, long time. And for those of you who are romantic, you're going to love this next section because it gets kind of gushy. And you guys are just like, whatever. <laughs> 19 through 24 of chapter 29 says, Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Isn't that just sweet? It's like, oh, it's just a... I don't know about you guys, but I mean, seven years is seven years, right? I mean, this dude must be really in love because it's like, oh, the seven years that flew by. It's like, that's a long time, man. He loves her. It's that goo-goo-ga-ga, that new love, right? Stacy and I have been married almost 10 years now, so we get to make fun of people who haven't been married as long. It's that new love, right? It's like, oh, there's butterflies and puppies and rainbows still. But Jacob, seven years is nothing for him. It's his deep love for Rachel. So he works that seven years. Jacob says to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to make love to her. He said, it's time. I worked seven years. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. They're going to have a celebration, have a wedding. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. A little trick gets played on old Jacob. Laban brings the oldest daughter Leah to give as a bride. Now remember, veiled, right? So it's like, you read the story going, this guy's kind of a moron, like how does he not know it's the wrong sister? In a wedding situation, right, she's veiled, she's got, give him, give him some slack, right? It's, 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 it can be confused. What happens is Laban pulls a trick on him. You see, Laban is pretty crafty too. And remember that Jacob, before you start feeling really sad for Jacob, what did Jacob do to his brother? See, life has a way of doing this, doesn't it? Bible tells us that we reap what we sow. Remember, Jacob's a little trickster. Plays a trick on his dad. Remember when he stole, when he got Esau's birthright? Now, part of that was Esau's fault because he sold it for a meal. But Jacob plays the game. And the game gets played back on him. And Laban's able to trick Jacob into the wrong sister. Which is poor, like poor Leah. You feel bad for her. Like she's just like a pawn in this game, apparently. And the story keeps going. When morning came, there was Leah. There she was, right? Like, oh, okay. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban's reply is this. It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Laban is getting some labor out of old Jacob, isn't he? Jacob must be a pretty good worker because Laban's like, hey, I'll keep giving, I'll giving you daughters if you just keep working for me. Jacob is so in love with Rachel that he does it. When Jacob did so, he finished the week with Leah and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also and his love for her Rachel was greater than his love for Leah and he worked for Laban another seven years. Do we see a problem brewing here? John knows the problem. He's married to two sisters. This is a terrible idea. I mean, every way around, it's ter- it's, this is what? Like, none of this is going to end up good. You don't have to be a fan of soap operas to know how this is going to turn out, right? I mean, really? 
But what I want to point out to you guys is what did Abraham do? Abraham, they couldn't conceive, and what did they do? They got a handmaid involved in it, right? And what I'm telling you is sin builds up a head of steam. Remember the scripture talks about the sins of the fathers being passed down to generation. Now, it's not the actual sin of the fathers, right? Now, we don't have to answer for our fathers' and mothers' sins. But what the scripture means when it talks about that, that the sins of the father get passed down from generation to generation, is habits become ingrained in us. And when you let sin fester, when you let it just sit there, and you just keep on living in it, and you keep practicing in it, it turns on you eventually, doesn't it? We've all experienced it. We've all been there. We've all done something that we knew was wrong, and we did it anyways, and then all of a sudden it just snowballs. If you grew up in this town, your mom and dad actually found out about it before you got home, like I did. And then it didn't have time to snowball because it was taken care of right then. But sin, when we let it live in us and we let it take residence inside of us, this is what happens. And this is just a couple generations from Abraham and that whole drama. And now what do we have? I mean, this is not going to turn out well. There's no way around it. This is terrible. I mean, look at the last statement in verse 30. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Well, how great is Leah's experience as a wife going to be when your husband's one, married to somebody else, and he favors her, right? This is just, it's a, it's a disaster. And now you know why I don't like Jacob, right? You're figuring it out, why he's not my favorite. Because this isn't going to be good. And as you're going to see, it turns into a soap opera in a hurry. The story continues in verse 31. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Poor Leah is in the situation where she's having kids, and God blesses her with the ability to have children, trying to what? To get Jacob's love. And that's not the position she should be in. She shouldn't have to do that. She should be married to a person by herself and have all of his love, right? That's the reason... That plural marriage is ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. That didn't make sense then and never, would never make sense now is how is he going to give his love to somebody else? Remember in the very beginning, God said, Adam, you need a helper. I'm going to give you Eve. He didn't say, Adam, I'm gonna, you, need a, you need helpers. I'm going to give you Eve. And I'm going to give you another lady, another lady after that, right? That's not how that story went. Now, the whole purpose of marriage was that those two the Bible tells us, become one. And as you're going to see here, three or four or five or however many wives a husband takes in the Old Testament aren't going to have the ability to become one. And now we have poor Leah who's giving birth to children just trying to get her husband's approval and love. Verse 33, she conceived again. When she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. Is your heart breaking for Leah yet? Because it should be. She conceived again. This is the fourth time in verse 35. When she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, and she stopped having children. The last one gives me a little encouragement with Leah at least. She quits looking to knucklehead Jacob for her approval, and she finds it where? She says, this time I will praise the Lord. I'm going to look to God. I'm going to look to him for my love. 
and my approval and my acceptance. And amen there, huh? Thank, thank goodness Leah saw that because that's where our approval comes from. It doesn't come from anybody else. It comes from him. That's who we're trying to impress. That's who we're doing all this for. And as you see, Leah is, is, has been a pawn in this game that she never should have had to be in. And I, my heart breaks for her. And here comes the soap opera. Chapter 30. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Now, I'm not sure how he's going to do that, right? This is super dramatic, right? It's like, what? I mean, unless you're, you're make, trying to make kids, you're trying to make kids. I don't know what else he's going to do for you, you know? But, and she's jealous of Leah. And this is what happens when we get in these situations. When you let sin win, this is what's going to happen, is jealousy. Verse 2, Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Now, I don't know. He's a brave man, first of all, for saying that. Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my servant. This is going to sound familiar, guys. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Let's add another woman to the equation. This will make it better. Yeah. That worked with Abraham, right? Yeah, that was good. You see what I'm saying? When sin starts piling up at some point in our lives guys when we get in that place and it happens to all of us when we realize that we've made some mistakes stop there right turn around and correct those mistakes and then try to go forward what they're doing here is we've made some mistakes we gave two sisters to the same man to be married not a great idea let's add another woman in that'll make it better right terrible logic it's gonna we're making it worse and that's what we tend to do though sometimes don't we when we when we're caught in sin as we go, well, I can, I'm going to dig my way out of this one way or another. And we keep digging, we keep digging, we keep, and we keep digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper. That's all they're doing here is digging it deeper. Because the last thing we need to do now is add another woman to this equation. It doesn't make any sense. That's the idea. Here's the servant. We've played this game before. Verse 4, she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. And Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Now we have three women in this crazy love triangle. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. I'm not sure how she's won because it's technically four to two at this point if you're keeping track, right? And no one's winning this game, right? Everybody's losing this. No one, who's the winner here? We're playing a game with, with people's lives. Like just... So she names him Neptali. Then when Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Good. A fourth one. That'll make it better, right? Now we've got two wives and two servants that are now wives. This is, this is snowballing. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. The woman will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Now, let's not let Jacob off the hook in this whole thing, right? Because this knucklehead just keeps saying yes. And he needs to stop. He's just, if not more, liable for what's going on here than these women are. Because we, I'm making fun of it because it's silly. It doesn't make any sense. But look at this. This is people's lives. And this is what happens when we take our eyes off the price. When we, we, we take it off of what's most important in our lives and we put it on, on ourselves. 
When we do that, this is, what, this is the kind of stuff that happens. This seems crazy, I know, but stop in your own life for a minute and think about the times when you took your eyes off of him and put your eyes on you and what happened. It might not have been this dramatic, right? They're not going to make a soap opera after your life, but think about it for a minute. Because I know when my eyes are taken off what's most important in life and they're placed on myself, things go sideways in a hurry. They just do. There's no way around it. When I become the most important thing in, in, the, in the world, things are going to go terrible for everybody around me. And that's what these people have done. Jacob, Rachel, Leah, they've all taken their eyes off the prize and they put it on themselves. What do I want? What do I need for fulfillment? Now the, think about this. The characters and the heroes of our Bible are flawed people. We've seen that throughout this section. But the people who succeed the most are the ones that are able to lift their eyes up off of their own current situation, their own wants and desires and pleasures, and look to him for guidance. Those are the people who are imperfect, they don't get it right all the time, but are able to do what God asks them to do. They're able to be faithful to God. See, God has to work through this mess, right? This isn't helping God, this is hindering him. And God's able to work through it because he's God, but the situation is not good. This isn't going to get much better here. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. We're fighting over fruit now. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Woo, right? Oh, we're getting a little testy. Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Now this is when the, the, it's that last straw that breaks the camel's back. We've all been there, right? You blow up over something really stupid because of lots of other things that happened beforehand. We're talking about fruit here, right? And they're fighting over fruit. But really, what are we fighting over? Right? We're fighting over a history and a past that goes back deep, deep, deep. We've all been to the, the Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas when someone brings up the subject in the family and it all goes sideways from there. That's what's going on here, right? We're just talking about fruit, but it's not at all about fruit. It's about all the past, all the history that's there. I still love the line, though. It wasn't enough that you took away my husband. I mean, it's, it's, you can see your kind of attitude, right, going. Very well, Rachel said. Talking about Jacob, he can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrake. So now they're they're negotiating over where Jacob gets to spend the night over fruit, which tells you it's kind of funny because Jacob's not worth much, right? He's always worth, you give me some fruit, you can kind of have him. He's kind of annoying me anyways, so just take him for a while and everything will be okay, right? So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. I put this in there because it is amusing. It really is. And Jacob doesn't have two cents, so he goes, okay, all right? I mean, all right. And he does it. And of course, God listens to Leah. She became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. That's not why he did it, by the way, Leah. Just spoiler alert. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later she gave birth to a daughter named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. It's a soap opera, guys, and it's It's terrible. And yet God is able to work through it all. Remember, before Jacob's ever born, God 
utters words about him, saying, hey, he's going he's to be the one that I, my covenant goes through. He's going to be the one that I, I work through. And even though Esau's first, Jacob's going to be the one, right? And, which the lesson, is, it's, it bothers me, to be honest with you, that Jacob is blessed at all after the mess in which he creates. But it tell, the lesson I think we find in that is that God, God's purposes will go on no matter what. No matter how hard we fight against him, no matter how much we put ourselves against him and we, and we, we, we do what God asks us not to do, God's purposes will still prevail. God's will will still be done, regardless. Some time passes, and Jacob's going to have an interesting, interesting uh, wrestling match here with God himself. In Genesis 32, it says, At night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream... He sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon that attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. It's kind of a strange story to end on, but it's the story of Jacob wrestling with God. And haven't we been there before? We think about all that Jacob has done, and it hasn't been real great. And yet God hasn't given up on him. And God says, I can do something through you still if you're willing to participate. And so they wrestled. Literally wrestled. Now, for you and me, we've probably figuratively wrestled with God before, right? We've spent that time thinking about, about him and who he is, and what he asks us to do. But wrestling is, is worth doing because it helps us reveal a little more of who he is to us. And remember, if there's any lesson we take from this, is that God works through flawed people. He does. He works through people who don't have it all together. He works through this. I mean, if he can work through this soap opera, he can work through just about anything. And God's good and holy purposes will not be stopped by our knuckleheadedness, right? Our, our refusal to do what is right, what we know is right. God will work no matter what. Never forget that God's, God's good and perfect will is never upset by our imperfections and our unwillingness to partner with him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we have to read the story of Jacob, Father. And while we, we see a lot of things in it in which we don't want to emulate, we don't want to be like, Father, we do want to emulate the fact that Jacob was willing to wrestle with you, to think about who you are and what you mean to him and to his family. And so, God, we, we ask that you would help us to do the same, to wrestle with you, to figure out who you are and, and why it is that we love you so much, why it is that we give our life to you, knowing that you are the only one whose hands, our heart, are worth having in. God, we thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for your compassion and your mercy, which you rain down on us constantly. Thank you with, that you are patient with us always. Father, we ask that 
you would be with us as we go about this week into our world, to jobs, into social events, that you would help us to be your light and your salt in this world, that we would point other people to you by our words and our actions. God, we thank you again for all of our fathers who have shaped us and molded us. We thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. We pray all this in the powerful and holy name of your Son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.